Welcome back to the Mission to Speed podcast. Today, I get to interview a guest of mine who is actually the editor and producer of my own podcast. Uh, his name is Bill Smith, also goes as Shu. Uh, he, he comes with several different names. Uh, but what it really intrigued me about his story is that, you know, he came from radio. So he has a very successful background um, doing a lot of different things, all the way from, you know, being a kid that dreamed of having his own radio station um, to helping other people produce and be the talent while he was behind the scenes that helped, you know, launch their careers and things like that. So he's worn a lot of different hats um, in the industry. But what's cool about what he's done is that he's actually pivoted um, as radio has kind of changed its ways with with technology and us being in a you know just different universe <laughs> these days. Uh, he's he owns a company called Trike STL. Years ago, there were a lot of Segway tours. Um, think of Segways, but just a different type of vehicle. And in the episode, Bill will describe all those things. And then we dive in a little bit about his own just help of people's podcasts and editing like he's done with me. Um, and I just tried to grill him on as many questions as I can to learn more just about the inspiring individual he is. Well, let's take a listen. I'm still learning his, his multiple names, um, but so glad to have him on on the show today. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing well. It comes from witness protection. It means <laughs> I can, I'm, if you know me one way, then I go by something else. So I can always be like a chameleon where everything's at. I, I heard joking. Elvis was in witness protection <laughs> as well. So I'm just trying to figure out if you're Elvis or if you're somebody else or you might know him. But, no. you know, your story is so intriguing to me. And, you know, when I reached out to you, the, the story behind me finding you as an editor, a lot of people always ask this, like, you know, because I think a lot of people want to know how to get into podcasts, sure. you know, and they're wondering, hey, you know, what's that process look like? And if you have somebody who can edit, if you have somebody who understands what podcasts are, it makes your your world a lot easier when trying to do this. And it was, I think it was, uh, it was Emily's Willing. Yep. You're actually, we're recording live at ThriveCo, shout out, mm-hmm. uh, business here in Clayton, Missouri. Great place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. We got the, got the sun out there. We can look out there. But Emily, you know, we were on the same kind of podcast panel um, that ThriveCo put on uh, Zoom throughout the pandemic. And she had kind of talked about how she had somebody that, you know, um, helped her out. And, you know, I was at the point where I had a really great guy who was helping me, but he was out of California. And for me, it's like, it'd be awesome to have that option to actually have somebody that could be physically here with me. And so that's how I got introduced, obviously, to you. Um, And I just feel like this has changed everything because I was at a point with my podcast where I really liked it and it was fun. But the fact that we can do stuff in person I mean, it, I feel like this is just taken to a whole another level. It is. Like, I think you can see um, a lot better of the conversation where you can see someone in the eyes. Of course, we've gone through COVID and people were trying to adjust accordingly. But yes, in person, you can't beat in person whenever you can see someone smile or if you ask a question and they kind of grimace and you're like, well, maybe I should not be going down that road. But you get to get, you know, basically uh, what they're doing. So uh, Absolutely. The, the body language makes a big difference. Absolutely. And Zoom, you can do it a little bit, but there's the delayed reaction time, you know, and also too, I think you can put on a little bit more of a face when you're when you're on camera it makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah, so you know, kickstarted there. I think we we probably started together a few months ago um, and actually had the opportunity to record live for the first time with you um, in the month of I want to say August, uh, where I got to bring on two guests and that was a ton of fun and kind of inspired me. Okay, we have a lot. Did ahead you get of a us. new feeling from seeing people face to face and, and yeah, giving that response? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think you know, I think what the guests were so appreciative of was how professional of an experience it was. Mm-hmm. You know, for them 
time it was it kind of took, and you said this to me like your whole goal is that the talent can come in here and just do their job exactly and you can focus on just editing and so that was helpful because i think when people come in here to record they're already nervous in the first place sure and so when you do it on zoom and you're trying to get it set up and you're trying to host it slash you know interview the person and they're already nervous you know it's just so many components where you just sit down you tell us hey here's your headphones i'm going to edit out anything else you know here right. that doesn't sound right uh just made the experience so much better and part of that also is just um you know coming from radio i, I that's where all of my background is basically being able to take things off people's plates so they can focus on what their job is at hand where they can be the talent and they can get into that mind space rather than am i keeping my subject engaged am i writing the levels correctly on the mixing board and all that stuff whenever you can just sit in put on some headphones and a microphone and just kind of have a conversation i think that's the best way to have compelling uh things that people want to listen to rather than the ums and the ahs and oh i made a mistake here kind of thing so absolutely well and you probably get people who are more authentic with their words right sure because they're not as you know hyper aware of the fact that you know that everything that they say has to almost be perfect you know where you're coming in and you're making those small little adjustments that i want to be the guy behind the the curtain of oz so you can just go and have the conversation and i'm just running everything here so it's good i love that well so so you started off in radio obviously um come from texas originally yeah how did you get into radio in the first place so i grew up in el paso texas and uh i i was playing sports and stuff like that uh, for a long time, football and stuff, and then kind of got an injury. And then from there, not being able to really continue stuff, I got into speech and debate and drama. And I got into Lincoln Douglas debate, believe it or not, where I would do the competitions of taking a particular side and, and arguing the affirmative or the negative and all that stuff. So I liked being able to talk and that opened my mind up to being able to communicate and share something. There was a chance for me from that standpoint and learning that stuff with drama that there was a community radio station in El Paso, Texas called KXCR. It was a public radio station that during the week they were jazz. They played all sorts of, you know, Chick Corea and stuff that I would have never really listened to. But I wanted to get into radio and they offered uh, people to, to be able to do an air shift. So during the week I'd, I'd do two different air shifts playing jazz and stuff that, you know, really, I mean, I could appreciate, but no way was I turning, especially being in high school. But I approached the, the PD or the program director at the time and I'm like, I wanted to do my own show on a, on a particular night. Is there a time that I could open up and do something? So they gave me Sunday nights to do a alternative radio show. And uh, I would play stuff like the cure and Depeche mode and all these things, kind of like a mini radio station within the radio station that would pop up there. And, uh, it, it got a pretty good following and people started, you know, requesting things and, and, and enjoying that. It got attention from, uh, somebody that was in radio to hire me to do something local in El Paso, but I'd also produced, um, some parody stuff at the time and was starting to send out parody songs. Um, the person I was dating at the time, she was going to go to school in Los Angeles. So I decided to make that move with her. And, and from there, I, I worked at a radio station called Pirate Radio, one of uh, my first kind of dives into big radio thing. And that was kind of like when long hair Bon Jovi radio was the big thing. And they were kind of approaching the same sort of uh, deal with Top 40, but with Skid Row and Bon Jovi. And it was that time of the hair bands in the 80s. And um, it was kind of neat to see that. And then got a chance to go and work at a station across the street or, or in the same town, but it's basically that you call it across the street, the most influential alternative radio station in the United States at the time, which was called K-Rock, K-R-O-Q. Finally got an air shift. And uh, when I got on the air, there was so many people that already had unique names at the station, like Jed the Fish and Sluggo and all these different people that were unique names. And when I finally got to 
get my own shift. I did not want to go on as Bill Smith. It just sounded fake, you know, even though it's my real name. And uh, the midday guy and I were talking one day and I'm like, I want to go on as something different. And he happened to be reading the newspaper at the time. And there was a big ad in the newspaper that said shoe sale. And he was from Britain, his name's Richard. And he goes, shoe, that's a funny word. Go on as shoe. (laughs) So shoe was a joke name that stuck. And that is basically what it is. I don't have a shoe fetish. I don't manufacture shoes or any of that kind of stuff. It's just a funny name that you remember. And either I'm Bill or shoe to many, many people. So this is why you have to have podcasts with people because I think I've asked you a little bit about it and it's such a normal name for you now sure. that it's more like, yeah, just people call me shoe. You know, yeah. you don't have the perspective of, you know, you're here sitting with a friend and right. here it is, you know, it's just an advertisement in a <laughs> in a local newspaper um, that kind of spars it. Well, it's uh, to me, what I'm thinking about when you're sharing your story, especially in taking us back to Texas, you know, just the confidence that you had in yourself to say, hey, I want to take over a show and I want to be somebody who has my own was that like were you always that kind of kid I was always like (laughs) my aunt and my mom and people would say that even as a little kid eight nine years old I'd walk around with a little tape recorder and I'd interview the mailman or I'd interview just whatever and just talking to people and being stupid and doing little radio skits and I I was very much always tinkering with some sort of gadgets and I would look at something and try to figure it out whether it's playing the piano or uh, how does this work I'd take apart radios and try to put things together I was just very much a tinkerer uh, my mom jokes that when the movie Jerry Maguire came out and the little kid with the glasses where he was very smart for his own well-being, he always had little sayings. I would remind her of him where, you know, the human brain weighs 10 pounds. I was like too good for my own for my own uh, smartness or whatever. But yeah, I, I've always just been someone that was very creative one way or the other. And so when you when you take over a show, and I'm, I'm assuming this is the 90s, right, or late 80s, uh, around that it area was, of town. I, I was on the air in Los Angeles um, full time, like at K Rock in the 90s. So that, that's right when Alternative was really just exploding the Stone Temple Pilots and uh, Pearl Jams and stuff of the world. So I, being able to ride in the cusp of all of what was going on popular music wise has really been a nice thing because um, when you have a vested interest in uh, in the music as opposed to the jazz stuff when I was first doing and talking about music of someone I've never heard of before, but here's blah, 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 to be able to say, here's, you know, Chris Cornell with Soundgarden or stuff like that and have some passion to it. It really comes across. But yeah, it was in the early 90s when I was doing all those things. Yeah. You know, like was I still listen to the radio. Sure. You know, I, I love the radio. Sure. I've, I feel like the radio and the newspaper, the two things that I'm just like holding on to want to see continue to exist. And Absolutely. I guess we'll see where the direction of things go in the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I love about the radio is when you do have, like you said, um, you know, a host of a show or even just somebody that's at three o'clock in the afternoon who's just kind of doing the dist- you know, radio and He's just saying, you know, here's the next one and then has a small little fact about that song. Right. Um, it sticks with you. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, you, you think about conversation when, you know, in business networking and different stuff where you just have random little facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can learn so much from the radio. Uh, and and I, that's what I've always found so fascinating about the radio because you're, you're getting so much information from people talking that are experts and different things like that. And it is nice to, to be able to appreciate what the knowledge is that you gain. You learn, you're like, oh, I didn't know this person worked with this person uh, on this particular song, like those kind of nuggets. Or uh, you can see the evolution of somebody starting, I don't know, as a Disney Disney kid, a Britney Spears or whatever, and then seeing them have a career or a Justin Timberlake and seeing that they, you know, started out on TV. And it's just whenever you learn those little factoids um, when you're listening to a radio, really, it makes you want to be part of what's going on here. Does she need to come in? 
I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think she might just be spying. Oh, okay. Oh, you're taking a photo. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh, she, I guess she's taking a photo for ThriveCo. <laughs> we're, we're in a don't goldfish. Don't edit that out, by the way. We're in a goldfish needs cake yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. People are staring by it. Yeah, I know. I know. That's that's hilarious. Uh, well, and so so going back to you know you being you know for and I want to first kind of focus on where you were with where you were in Texas because right. you take over a show. What's what are the responsibilities of somebody like? Because I know you're kind of a mini radio station within a radio station, but you're obviously the music that you're playing is not your choice of music but are you the guy who is saying and now up next is blah blah blah, and then you're talking between the sets like yes or do you have people on with you i'd love to kind of hear how those shows were produced so the jazz thing someone picked the music for me on saturdays um before i would do my sunday show i would kind of figure out what things were being listened to with my friends in high school while they're watching mtv and stuff and there was a show back then also called 120 minutes that would show new alternative music uh at that point so i'd watch the previous Sunday's version of that and then kind of in- incorporated into my show. Um, but yeah, being able to pick the music and, and, and wanting to have not some a guest on like to, to interview, but also just a guest that kind of banter off of and, and talk with that. So I'd have different people pop in and, and be a co-host kind of thing. Um, but it was more just about the music. Again, we were high school kids. So being able to, to do that, I, I w- by no means was uh, a polished DJ kind of thing, but I wasn't also kind of uh, wanting to be that way. I wanted to keep the authentic side of myself and uh, present the music authentically. So I would just be talking about the music. I wasn't like, the big, big joy, but you know, I just, <laughs> I, I can appreciate those people that have those voices. That's just not me. It's just being able to have a true conversation, I think has always been the most alluring thing to me in being part of radio. Did that ever intimidate you that like if you went to the next step and you're going to California, I mean, when you think of LA, I mean, I'm thinking of the Elvis Durans, you know, these different names where you think, wow, like when you hear them, you don't even think of them as a people because you just think of them as their voice. So there's definitely lots of personalities that go into radio. Um, When I went to Los Angeles, some of the big people at the time were Rick Dees, if you remember Rick Dees with a top 40 thing. There was another guy, Big Boy, which was at the hip hop radio station. And they were just big personalities. But Los Angeles radio had had so many people throughout the years. Becoming a very small fish in a huge ocean of talent was something that you could really absorb and learn from. Uh, While I was still working at K-Rock, I also started doing stuff for a network called Premier Radio Networks. They would run shows and, and, and produce things, but I'd be in the hallway and looking down the hallway and I kid you not, there was Rush Limbaugh, you know, and, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, so it's interesting rather, you know, whether you agree about someone's particular politics or whatever, you still have to appreciate at least the stance that they got to. So, soaking all that in and finally um, realizing that if I ever wanted to be a personality, I almost had to go away from Los Angeles to cut my teeth on my own and then do things uh, from that point. So from Los Angeles um, and learning from all of these people, the the guy that started uh, Pirate Radio was a guy named Scott Shannon, who was a huge Top 40 DJ in New York back when Top 40 Radio was the, the, the big thing. And again, just learning from all these different people were really kind of a great way to cut my teeth and then finally venture out leaving Los Angeles and doing my first uh, full-time nighttime gig in, in Salt Lake City from all places. So going from LA and uh, glamorous to um, Salt Lake City, which was totally night and day. It was <laughs> totally it was, different. It was totally yeah. with the nightlife and everything like that, you know, a totally different city, which love Salt Lake City, beautiful city, you know, in itself. And if you like being in the mountains and, you know, exploring that day, you're definitely going to be in a happy place. And all that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, it's fascinating just hearing your, your story about, you know, from where you went from being in Texas and then obviously being in the industry and being in 
the highest, you know, this is the cream of the crop, you know, where it's like you're the at. biggest market in the country. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think about sports a lot. I'm a big sports fan. And sure. so I like to use the analogy and you hear these athletes who stay in the league for several years and they always say the same kind of things. They're like, I found what I was good at and I found a way not to overcomplicate it. They always say like, you know, I knew what my role was. Yep. I, I think of JJ Redick, who was a yeah. NBA basketball player, just retired. And he said he always had a place in the NBA because he just knew what he needed to do. You know, he never overcomplicated. He just knew this is what a team needs and this is what I'm going to do. And it sounds like kind of like maybe correct if I'm wrong, but that was kind of your mindset in some ways going into bigger radio. Like you didn't have to be the, you know, the big name or the over you know, this personality that just, sure. you know, absorbs the room. But you knew that if you were yourself and you were authentic to you, you'd have a place and people would appreciate that. And I think also learning as much as you can and learning many different roles or being able to wear many different hats. Like besides being able to talk on the radio, I really got into production and all the imaging of radio stations. So all the zips and zaps that are in between the songs where it'd be like a so-and-so radio and all these kind of things. That's what I would produce. And that also became a, another niche that people wanted me to be part of. So being able to image a station and the station's identity and the station's personality when there was not a jock or a host talking, but still carrying on the overall um, message of what the radio station would be. That was also another learned art that I was able to do. And then also doing imaging a couple different radio stations. That also got me noticed aside from being more on the air, more of my imaging is what people really started gravitating towards. So it opened up even more doors and got me even more behind the curtain of just running buttons and stuff and running podcasts for people like this. And the little seedlings, you never really know what steps will lead to the next steps, but being open to all of them, I think is always, always a benefit to to anybody that's getting into any industry. Yeah, the versatility that you're exactly. speaking about. Yeah. My brother's a TV reporter in Minneapolis and, you know, it, he went to Mizzou, you know, journalism school. And I think one of the things that he appreciated most about Mizzou was the fact that they taught you everything. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember him being a freshman in college and, you know, he was the guy that was, you know, working the overnights and worrying at the production. And then you're on the actual air and then you become an anchor by your senior year. These are steps that you're taking, but sure. you're literally wearing every single hat, like you said. And, you know, he, he actually got hired in Buffalo right out of school uh, based on the fact that he was a backpack reporter in mm. at Camo U at mm -hmm. Columbia. You know, he learned how to film himself and get in front of it and then come back, edit it. And that was a appeal. They put and, a whole know, package together yeah, that could be aired. Yeah. Exactly. And so now going, you know, kind of in his career now, he's at a care station in uh, Minneapolis, which is their NBC affiliate. I think that was something that kind of really helped him, you know, get to that next step was mm -hmm. just the fact that he took those um, you know, those skills that he learned in college and kind of brought that. And it sounds very similar to what you have been doing and, and been polishing that. And we'll get into kind of where you're at now with, with that. But the whole radio stuff, I, when I talk to you, I have like total, because I'm a 90s kid. So I just have like flashbacks to the 90s. Like every time I talk to you, I like have the homesick of the 90s. Like sure. things were just popping here, especially in St. Louis. It was. Um, you know, early 2000s with, with the Rams and the Cardinals and everybody. Um, such a fun time. And music was so great. And that's, and that's right when I came to St. Louis. So I, I came to St. Louis and, and uh, out of Salt Lake, they uh, the company at the time was called JCore, which became Clear Channel. And they decided to bring me to uh, St. Louis to help launch a, a radio station here, a top 40 station called Z1077. And uh, that was, again, translating from all of the alternative stuff that I had done in LA and Salt Lake to still the same sort of top 40 thing, but now with the NSYNCs and the Backstreet Boys and the Britney Spears of the day and stuff like that. So again, uh, I could appreciate uh putting those things together, but they weren't necessarily like, you know, I not mean to knock them or whatever, but it just wasn't my cup of tea, but still being able to uh, enjoy it and maybe part of that. But so, yeah, the late nineties into the two thousands were a great time for learning and being in radio. 
And so, you know, because we listen to the radio and and we fall in love with the different shows and the hosts and all this different stuff. But, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, two kind of levels in, in, in some ways. You're talking about being the actual producer. And then you're also talking about being somebody who's actually on air speaking. Were your jobs in California, were you somebody who is on air speaking mm-hmm. and producing? Or is it or was it these are different kind of phases of your career? So K-Rock started out with um, doing promotions and helping push the station because those big names, the Sluggos and the Jetfish, they had been there for years and they are part of the identity of the radio station being somewhat unique. And I, I'm trying to think of how I can compare it. Like um, if you ever watched MTV early in the the first part, there was always like the, the Martha Quinn and she was the face of this. Or there later on downtown Julie Brown as things grow. So you, you were never going to necessarily knock them out. So learning as many different things, whether it was promotion or editing and stuff, and then finally getting a chance to get on air and show that you had some talent, like I said, led me to realize if I'm ever going to be a Martha Quinn or a Jed the Fish or a Rick Dees, I kind of got to go away and be a big fish in a small pond again and then come back to doing different things. And I did that with both my hands, one side with on-air production and one side with actually being on air as as part of my representation of the stuff that I could do. And um, yeah, being able to do that gave me many different um attractiveness to people to want to hire. And that's kind of what again, got me to St. Louis because I could be on the air if someone needed to do that, or I could produce things. One of my first jobs when I got here was making it sound like a morning show that was on here was originating here in St. Louis, but it actually was coming out of Tampa, Florida, which was MJ and BJ. They were live in Tampa, and then we would capture their show in real time homogenize it to make it sound like they were in St. Louis and people for the longest time had no idea. And we were kind of the the precursor to different things that are happening now with voice tracking. So if you're listening to radio now, you hear people that are on the air, but they're not necessarily in the town. You know, Ryan Seacrest is in Los Angeles, but he's on the air here in St. Louis. And it sounds like he's talking about being here in St. Louis and many different people do that, uh, what's going on. So those are things that kind of helped and learn and being able to be a production person and helping those things are really what got me to the point of being employed, basically. It was good. Yeah, no, I, I actually am one of those people who would listen to, you know, you hear Ryan Seacrest give a shout out to St. Louis, or I remember, you know, Elvis Duran being here sure. in St. Louis yeah. for a while. Yep. And, you know, they would mention things like the arts or something. I'm like, I, I feel like you guys are in New York City, yep. but the personal touch, but they obviously are recording that. Sure. You know, those are their voices, right. you know, those things. And I'm sure that, and so I used to put events on and had a couple um, charity events here in St. Louis. And one of our events we hired, um, I want to say we hired uh, Y98 uh, sure. advertising mm-hmm. um, to kind of just get ourselves on the radio to just yep. get some promotions going. And we had, um, a local um, local talent, um, Sue Thomas. She's mm-hmm. on 1025 and she was a runner and she did it. And so you, essentially you're paying a little extra for her to actually speak about your event and things sure. like that. And I found that process so interesting because I think you know, when you're, when you're thinking about like connecting to a commercial and then you hear somebody that's the person you always hear for traffic, you know, perhaps maybe that's going to lighten up your ears a little bit more. You're going to want to listen to that. And I think that's, what's so unique about radio is that, you know, I I listen to a lot of ESPN radio, listen to, you know, different, different stuff, uh, the fast lane, all these different shows that they have here in St. Louis. And Mm -hmm. then they'll go to commercial and you're thinking that you're still on the actual episode as they go talk about something. And now you hear that with podcasting and things like that yeah. it seems so authentic um, in, in those regards. And do you think a lot of these people who are giving advertisements different stuff? Obviously, there's the pay factor to it. But do you think, especially with some of these shows, that is true? They 
do love this product or they do yeah, yes and no I mean some people are paid just to ha- put their name associated with something but some people really believe in the thing and they want to put their name to it because they've tried a particular product that they say this has helped my life and I want to share these things again trying to make that connection to the listener and and whoever the host is or the talent with that bit of authentic my endorsement here's my little check mark to it uh, here's my like for social media here's my audio like uh, for you to say that I you know I, I enjoy this particular vitamin brand or I like these shoes or whatever it is, people want to do that. Now, some people also are just paid to have so-and-so talk about that, a recognized voice or name being able to talk about, hey, get your tattoo removal at Bob's tattoo removal. And you're like, okay, well, he obviously is, unless he's hidden the tattoos, he's not hiding, you know, he's not gotten tattoos, but his voice is on it kind of thing. So yes and no on both things. Sometimes the, the talent or the, the host really believes in something. And sometimes it's just paid to be the, the announcer for that particular thing. Which, which makes good. yeah, which makes sense. Makes yeah. sense to it. So take me back to your bet. You're here in St. Louis. It's the '90s. Yep. You know, I'm thinking, what kind of car are you driving to work those years? <laughs> I get up before everyone ever got uh-huh. up doing the morning show. Again, Tampa was an hour ahead of time, so my day started at like two thirty in the morning. Okay, be to the station by like three thirty. Uh, I was driving a Jeep at the time. Okay, a little Jeep Wrangler downtown. And, uh, no, I lived in Creevecore. The radio station was out in Creevecore at the time, so okay. I, it was close to that. And then they moved over near Forest Park. But I would do the whole morning show and then spend the rest of the day imaging and then also voice tracking. So I would also be on air overnight to the listeners in St. Louis, but I was drooling on my pillow, you know, <laughs> because I'd already recorded the day before or the night before or whatever it would be. So I was constantly kind of doing stuff one way or the other. And this, there's a lot of working probably in this industry. And, yes. you know, it's not just this, oh, we're having fun. You know, we get to speak on the radio. I'm sure that was the fun of your job, the sure. fact that you get to do that. Um, it's not but, digging ditches, but still, I mean, you have to, there's, there's still work there's involved and there's still research. Yeah. And homework and all the that different kind of things that kind of, yeah, yeah that line up to it and then i'm sh- assuming you probably have meetings and things like that that's kind of have it over. so your typical day is 2 30 to what, what time are you are you getting off at i'd probably get out of the station on average 3 30 ish four um and then kind of do it all over again um you know sometimes on the weekends, they would also, you were talking about hiring people, they would hire us to uh, do different bar gigs and stuff like that. So what people would do for fun, like going to dance at a particular bar, it would still be work. We would still be working. So getting paid to be part of that was fun as well. But yeah, it was just, it, it really depended on what, what the promotion was for the radio station and how much meetings would be for that particular thing. When I got to St. Louis, we really wanted to stir up uh, the top 40 radio here. And, and I don't know if you remember some of these things that we did, but we did the fantastic plastic payoff things where we would pay off people's credit card for Christmas. Uh, we gave away boob augmentation. We did uh, the breast Christmas where we'd give boob jobs away or then, uh, you know, just different things like that, that were geared towards the soccer mom was a very female driven stuff, but not too blue or too dirty where it, it turns people off. So walking that fine line and, and just making a name for yourself. And that's that's how my day was, was thinking from that perspective of how to push the radio station and make the uh, the listener have the most enjoyment of things. So. Yeah, and I, I think about Z1077. I mean, I feel like my whole life has been around Z1077, <laughs> you know, where where KC, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about that. Yes. You know, they they always call in and they say, I was listening to you in my bedroom and, yep. you know, 1974, yep. you know, <laughs> and all different stuff. And, and so you're part of creating that, but you're also coming into something that is totally new right. with a, you know, with a, probably a very, and in St. Louis, out of all places, a very regimented, this is how we do it. This is not going to work here, all this different 
and stuff. And your job was to kind of just stir things up, right? Stir it up. Be completely different. Yep. I mean, obviously you were new to St. Louis and you weren't from here. Correct. Um, the people that you're working with, major- probably majority of them kind of similar situations. No one was from here that started this really. So were a lot of people like very skeptical and down here? Um, they were a little upset in the fact because there had been a lot of stations that were already um, beloved. You talked about KC, so a lot of people liked The Rock, and that was more of a male German thing. There was the alternative, The Point kind of stuff. Uh, at that time, there was also a station called The River, which was kind of like The Point Light and, and more alternative. But there was also Q106 for a long time, and we knew those histories and we knew what we were going into. We just didn't turn on a switch and say, maybe this will work. There was some research on how to go into a market and really blow it up and stir things up and get things going. So we would do kind of guerrilla tactics in the sense of taking over someone's promotion. I remember this. One of the things that really got us on the front page of the of, of the city is right as Seinfeld was ending, uh, the river and the point did the, the last watch party for the Seinfeld episode downtown on Washington. And uh, we decided we're going to have fun with this. So we got basically a Batman spotlight with our Z1077 logo in the frame. And they started the show. Everyone was downtown. We were watching it on the side of a building down on Washington and Tucker. And we rented a hotel room from across the way. And as soon as the show was on and everyone was watching it and the lights were going down to see it, we popped our GoPro on. So right <laughs> next to it, next to the screen, everyone's watching it. So the people from the other competing radio stations, a little upset with us, tried to shine their spotlights that were shining down for when the people were talking on the stage to cover our logo. So we would move the logo to the other <laughs> side. So it became a cat and mouse of these two lights while people were trying to watch Seinfeld. Pissed people off. The police came and knocked on our door. But the best thing and what got us uh, a nice feather on our cap with our, our, our big boss at the time was next morning on the front page of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was the biggest watch party joined by 3,000 people. You see the screen of Seinfeld and off to the right-hand side, Z1077. So <laughs> we won that battle. So that that's the kind of thing that we would go to stir up the the the, the city here as much as we could. And if it's if we're listening at that time to Justin Timberlake, you know, yeah. NSYNC and you know Britney Spears, and I'm thinking Smash Mouth was probably big. Oh around yeah, that, oh, yeah. Younger audience. I mean, are you attracting kind of that what we would call that millennial phase right now? We wanted to attract, like I said. Um, Moms that could listen with their kids, but still have that little bit of edge and fun. And again, college kids. And um, it was always geared more towards a women or female centric thing as opposed to a Keishi or a point where it was more male driven. So, uh, you know, Keishi and them would be more like, let's do motocross and motor trucks and those kind of things. And Z would be like, let's do massages and waxings and stuff like that. Or events that would be more like concerts or ladies night at clubs. So just kind of you can see the two camps of where things were going, how the the advertising and the approachment would have had. It's like the fight of rock and roll with our parents' era. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, you know, put down the music, you know, this is this is stirring up too much trouble. Yeah. Well, this is a good segment for kind of the next phase of, of your story because, you know, why I was trying to really kind of dig at the, you know, your transition just with Z1077 and yep. what you guys were doing is that it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of confidence in yourself to start something new. I mean, I think that, you know, probably any business or anything that is new is going to be criticized sure. of you're not going to make it or this isn't going to work and things like that. And, you know, so you're, you're in an industry where you've kind of probably done similar things. Obviously you're always adapting, you're changing it up. Yep. Um, and you're several years down the road and you decide you want to start a business that has nothing to do with what you're doing on radio. Uh, <laughs> well, part of it also was just by circumstances as well. So radio has been dying a 
I don't want to say slow death, but changing in tradition. Uh, once iPhones and iPods came, people would listen to their MP3s as opposed to having appointment listening where I have to turn on the radio at eight o'clock and listen to so-and-so. Then we got DVRs. I want to watch the shows that I want to watch from TV when I want to. And the same thing sort of started happening with radio. People now have satellite radio. The, the host may be someplace else in the country. You still have the connection where you can listen to that particular person from New York all the way to California and never lose them. If you have a favorite person in a particular city like St. Louis, 50, 75 miles out, you lose that unless you go on to now what a lot of radio stations and groups are doing are pushing the apps to be able to push their stations. So people now have podcasts, you know, they want to listen to things on their own schedules. So radio has kind of really changed. I don't think it will ever fully die because everyone drives cars. All that changed. But what I was doing, um, I saw the writing on the wall because the stock market and stuff started really crashing about 2008. And there was the kind of the recession and people were being let go and different things. And I saw the writing on the wall before all that happened. And, um, I started working doing show prep for morning show radio. I worked for a company that did all of the uh, production. So people that would go in the next morning, it seemed like they watched all the shows and got all the information. Like a, a perfect example is, do you remember when Oprah gave away the cars and yeah, you would have heard yeah. the audio piece? You get a car, you get a car, yeah. you get a car. Well, what I would do is I would watch those shows, grab those audio pieces and write a little blurb about it. So Joe Blow in Boogers, Montana for his radio station uh, can... Instead of recording everything, he can come to work at five in the morning, read our show prep and make it seem like he watched all the things and made all these audio pieces that would be played back. So some people think that whoever the host was, was doing all that stuff. Now there's people behind the scenes <laughs> like me that would have been cutting those things up and sending those audio things out and, and, and doing show prep for them to make their show that much better. So it's just little Lego pieces or whatever to help whatever show in any part of the world be able to be better. So while I was doing that, I, I, I met some people that actually had a Segway company here in St. Louis. I had my nights to to watch the shows and do all the show prep for the people the next morning, but I had my days free. And uh, they asked me, since I, I'm so shy to talk, I'm afraid I got to come out of my shell at some point to talk, but uh, help run their business to do tours around St. Louis. Again, it also got me to appreciate how great of a city St. Louis was and the history of learning that. And I did that for about three or four years and they wanted me to buy their company. I had discovered these particular vehicles called trikes that I do tours with now here in St. Louis. Those are cool. I want to go tell these guys that they should maybe incorporate the trikes into their Segway stuff. I said, funny that you say that. We want you to buy our thing. I passed on that. So for about a third of what I was doing, started up a business where we're doing tours now around the city, uh, being a good ambassador to the city to talk about just how amazing the city is, whether it's Forest Park or downtown or the Arch and stuff, and pivoting where I can still use a lot of my knowledge and the gift for Gab and, and not afraid to talk to people, but also present it in a way that is palatable and fun and, and a way to immerse yourself on three wheels in any part of town. And you're going from somebody who was doing this in some ways, but nobody could see you. Right. And they're hearing you from such distance to right. now I'm in person. I'm sure. seeing you. We're building relationships. Yes. You know, I'm showing you different types of things. I'm sure there's some refreshing, you know, just components to being able to actually see your audience. Sure. Right. And know how they're doing. And so, so with your company, obviously with, with Trike, you know, if for just people at home listening to this, cause I know, I think a lot of us know what a segue is. And I think especially five, six, seven years ago, you saw sure. segues everywhere, everywhere. Right. everywhere. And now, 
you don't see them as much. I don't think in St. Louis. I know in other cities they do. But what makes your uh, your vehicles different than everything the other ones? So what's neat about our vehicles, first of all, is they have three wheels instead of two. If you're familiar with a Segway or even a hoverboard, two-wheeled vehicles that you relied on the machine to help balance you. The nice thing about a trike is people are already familiar with riding a bicycle. So it has handlebars like a bicycle. And uh, as opposed to letting the machine balance you, the three points of contact already are natural balancing for you. So you already feel that much more confident. Trike started out originally as a body-powered machine. They would do this kind of serpentine movement to get momentum and kind of keep their momentum carving back and forth. Well, thankfully, they added an electronic component to it, and there is a throttle that you just turn and hold, and it pulls you along, and you get to cover a lot of ground and see things uh, however you want to. Or you can still do your body things. So you can get a bit of a workout. Out of my van, I can fit like 15 different trikes in there, and I keep pulling them out. I've had people on tours go, it's like a clown car. There's more clowns that just keep coming out and coming out as I'm unloading. But it's, it's a great way to cover a lot of ground. You get to see more and sweat less, is what I say on a trike. So it's kind of neat. And so what, what is a typical session like? Because I'm sure, assuming there's probably a little bit of an onboarding, you know, component to it. Oh, this is how you use it. You hear it. And then you obviously get going and right. you're, you're bringing in history. I mean, I would love to kind of know the experience of what it's like to actually take one of your tours. So with Trike STL Guided Tours on our website, we offer places that people can just book online and then they book and they pay and they, they get a meeting location for whatever it is, whether it's Forest Park. We do actually two different ones in Forest Park. One that's more... World's Fair centric from the 1904 World's Fair. And then another one that is kind of hidden things about the park that you may or may not know or have seen. And we show that off. Uh, we've also done a hybrid of both of those. We do Soulard and Lafayette Square. So a lot of people that uh, want to know kind of the history of where people helped build St. Louis and down by the brewery in those areas, that's kind of neat to see. We do downtown, of course, by the arch and, and by the ballpark. And then this last year, after COVID, we really wanted to focus along the riverfront and the arch grounds. We actually did up a pop-up seasonal thing this year to offer tours. But all of our tours, except the arch ones, the arch ones are 30 minute long. All of the other ones are two hour long tours. Within that two hours, we teach you how to get up on a trike, get used to it. It's probably about a five to 10 minute learning curve. You get really quickly adjusted to it. Um, typically, when I was doing tours with the Segways, it was about 25 minutes to really feel really good before we go. But we, we do a, a training session during the beginning of the, the first part of the tour with trikes, five, 10 minutes, you're ready to go. You understand how the throttle is and how the brakes go and you're ready to, to go in. We give a listening device uh, that goes around their necks, almost like a, a lanyard with a, like a walkie talkie type thing. And I'm talking to them and basically we start cruising around what a particular area it is. And I give a bit of history uh, on certain tours. I pull out a, a tablet and show pictures of what it looked like back then and compared to now. I always find those kind of things are neat when you look at like this particular area looked like this in 1888 or whatever and, and being able to talk about that. And it's just an engagement where we can show a bit of our history off, all the amazing things that are in St. Louis, but also bring out your inner 10-year-old and ride around on an electric vehicle and, and play and while we're out seeing the sites, we definitely become the sites. People check us out and they're like, what are those things? We definitely have people catching eyes on us, which is kind of fun. Good for, yeah, good advertising Absolutely. for it, you know, unintentionally, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> whether it is it or not. And so what, what, who's who's kind of the target market, would you say, for this? So honestly, it, it can be anywhere from uh, families that want to do stuff, whether they're local or out of state. Um, our, our, our clientele is kind of 50-50. We're part of Explore St. Louis, so like we're in some of their publications, but we also have... Just just a lot of people that see us either riding in the park and, and reach out to us or or things that uh, we have done at different events, whether it's a team builder or a particular function that 
want to come and do an experience with us. We've had families. We've done day dates. We're able to do birthdays and all sorts of stuff, but we also just have the dedicated things for people that want to learn about a particular area, whether it's Forest Park or Soulard, and, and really kind of deep dive into that within two hours. And you hopefully come away learning something. And it's I try to keep it fun because I remember being like in school and, and going on field trips and the, the tour guide on the field trips like, you're just like, shut up. So I try to have some information, give some fun knowledge tidbits there, but then also don't make it boring and have them engage to, to ride the trike and, and what the experience is. Yeah, because there's so much going on. You're, yes. you're not only learning and, and listening to a lot of things, but you're also getting exercise or you're getting, you know, just your time in nature Knowledge, um, yeah. as well as the concentration, yep. you know, the focus to it. There's a lot of components to it. Um, just thinking it through. And, and so, you know, I think what's so fun about owning a business is the fact that there's there's so many possibilities. Sure. The, it's limitless. Yep. I mean, I think that's something that, that COVID taught me, especially with my business, was Absolutely. that, wow, like, you know what, like, Nobody, yeah, like your customers and are affected by this and different things like that. But nobody is going to just say, okay, you're fired or, you know, we got to cut costs. Like you can create whatever you want out of it and you can have these kind of big picture thinking. And I'm yeah. thinking of, you know, Shu or Bill Smith from several years ago, you right. know, when you're eight, 10 years, years old and you have these big aspirations to, to do more. And obviously that, that way through the radio and things like that. Right. And then coming out fruition of owning your own business and kind of taking this all to life. So I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, when you think of trike and you think of St. Louis and all the possibilities of showing it off, like, I guess that the question, would be is what drives you to want to continue to expand your business and and where and I guess maybe we just stop there because that that's kind of a long well, going question. Honestly, <laughs> I think however you do anything is how you do everything. And I think even from a little kid, being creative, being uh, inquisitive, and wanting to learn. You know, like I said, taking apart radios. That's still a learning process. Coming to St. Louis and not necessarily knowing all the history here, but thanks to the Segway stuff and then research that I've done on my own has made me appreciate the city. And then another hat from again coming from radio and 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 learning how to sell something from a visual mindset is how would this experience be for someone that wants to come and learn about Forest Park or whatever, making it an entertainment thing, making it an experience that is lasting and worthwhile to to put your time and, and, and cash or whatever that you are paying for. When it comes to that, creating a interesting concept that it's an experience that people will feel like they really got something out of plus had fun and it's compelling and you get to learn about the history without being bombarded with it and that's kind of what drives me now is just always putting your best effort in to help people and create things is what drives that yes covid really put a, a hamper on a lot of different aspects of a lot of different people's business but you have to learn how to pivot or die basically and if, being on tracks is a great way to socially distance because you're away from everybody. You're still being outside. You're getting lots of vitamin D, which everyone's, you know, saying, and then uh, is good for your health and different stuff. So it's, it's always just trying to give your best effort to give the best experience and be happy for what the work that you put into it to, to show off and, and, and boast a little bit of how great our city is. When, when I met you, I had no idea that you had owned something like this. Uh, you know, I right. kind of just assumed, okay, you're getting hooked up with somebody who's going to help you with your podcast. They're probably going to be, you know, it could be another side gig or things sure. like that. But for the most part, they probably are, you know, pretty much, you know, in tune with the podcast world and all this different stuff. And later to find out that you have this whole business that is completely different. Right. But then you also have another business of just actually helping people like myself. Exactly. Well, um, my wife jokes. She says I do so many different things. Like that. <laughs> 
I, I don't ever have a day. But that's part of being an entrepreneur, isn't it? Like, absolutely. There's not ever a day off. And if you're, and you've always heard the same thing. If you're doing what you love or it's fun, then it's not really work. Yes, it's work. But again, is it something that you can't manage? No. If you have a love for it, whatever it is, whether I'm recording people's podcasts, whether I'm taking people through Forest Park, I get to wear all these different hats and and I always put my best effort in and people always come back to the fact that you have the experience and the knowledge to help them. But part of what I also, I think I give to people and, and maybe you can answer to this is I also try to take stuff like we talked about off your plate where you're like, I don't have to worry about this or that and the other. Someone else will do it. I've heard the quality of what that is, or I've witnessed how great a tour is. So I've, you can put that confidence uh, into what you're paying for. So, you know, to make your life easier, I've tried to make things where you just sit down and, and do things. If I'm doing a tour, I train everybody to feel confident and now they can enjoy whatever particular tour it is. I just, I'm a facilitator with experience, with a compassion and care to push the knowledge and help people feel good about whatever they're doing. It kind of goes back to what you said a few minutes ago, just about giving 100%. Yes. You know, just giving that type of effort to to put your best foot forward. And I think about that a lot in my job. I don't know if you struggle with this, but sometimes I struggle with the, you know, the balance of not every situation has to be 110%. Right. You know, there are certain things that your energy should be going to other stuff and things like that. But that, you know, I think about it, I'm like, I, I whenever I email somebody, you know, for, for you know, because what I do is I train people to run. And, yep. you know, when, even if I'm sending them just a, a training plan for the week, it's, this could be the last email I ever send to you, mm-hmm. you know? So I really think about that. And if it was a half-ass email that I wrote, I think about that. And I'm like, man, like, what would I, how would I feel if I was on the other end of that? Sure. You know, I paid for this, yes. you know, cause you don't know the perspective. You don't know that, you know, that shoe is out, you know, <laughs> on the trikes all day, you know, doing the things that you have my perspective. So far as I know, he's just sitting, you know, at the computer ready to, ready Start to, recording you know, ready to <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's right. that perspective. But then when you do give that 110% effort, um, it, it is so appreciated on the other end. And I'm sure that's something your customers have kind of come back and said, right? We have, we've actually, um, so some of the things that people use to kind of gain on how your report card is, is things like TripAdvisor and stuff. We have got five-star ratings since we've started, and we're into our seventh year, really six because of COVID, but uh, of, of offering tours just with Trike STL Guided Tours. And the feedback that we've got, it really is exactly what you're saying. Always give me, because you never know who knows who, who could help you out or hurt you ultimately. So each time, whether it you're doing something, like you said, 100% is not always possible, but you know that you gave at that particular moment everything you could for that particular experience. And you, and so you juggle a lot of jobs. I mean, you, you juggle a lot of things and then obviously have a family yourself. Yep. And I think about this a lot for myself because you know what I, I love about my job is that I can be here recording a podcast and then later I'll be on my computer and then I'll be out you know somewhere outside at a park. Yep. You know, there's not one constant place that we're at. We're just looking at the clock. Okay, is it time to eat lunch? Is it time to go for my you know my my break? My watch. <laughs> there's a lot of variety which I love, um, but there is that component of man, I'm going pretty fast, you know, I'm going pretty fast. And I have to really remind myself to just be present in the moment sure. and just remember like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I, like when I'm coaching somebody, I'm literally helping you do what I love to do. Right. You know, and do you find yourself ever just like kind of taking a step back and saying, you know what, Bill, I got to, you know, I got to just be more appreciative of this moment that I'm just on a tour right now, or I'm listening to somebody's podcast and this is their passion project. Yes, it is definitely something I'm very aware of because I can remember back when I first wanted to try a a radio show or something like that, that you have in your mind's eye what that picture might be and you hope that it gets there. So 
my job, especially now with all of that, I, the knowledge I have is really trying to help people get to that point of realizing that mind's eye picture that you have. And then also being present to enjoy the process. You know, if it becomes problematic to pull out trikes and do a tour, then I don't know if I want to keep doing that kind of stuff. If it becomes problematic to set up microphones and record somebody and like, oh God, I got to hear Mark talk again, <laughs> you know, or I got to hear, then I don't know if I need to be doing that. So I have a love for bringing out the best in people, bringing out the best experience people can have on a tour, bringing out the the best in people when they're reporting a podcast or doing a live performance or something like that, uh, and capturing that and just helping them be their best version of that particular moment. And that's me being present because I can appreciate the years back of me finding these little pieces to get my fun out of the time. So I want other people to have fun and good experiences. So being present in the moment is so cool because you get to teach and also learn again. So, you know, when you're teaching somebody, you get to learn twice, basically. So I've done this stuff before and I'm showing you to do it, but I'm also learning new things to do whatever particular event or experience is. So I get to learn twice and it's constantly learning and constantly having fun and being helpful and being creative. Always being creative has always been the best thing for for me anyway. And they, you know, they always say like, it's, it's good to read, you know, it's good to read newspapers and magazines because you're, you know, going to make yourself more worldly. You'll understand more things that are happening and yep. you're listening to people's podcasts oh. all the time. I mean, you must be learning so much about just things that you never probably thought you would ever, ever learn about. Absolutely. So a lot of the podcasts that I do are more, uh, related with like health and fitness for sure. I do yours about running. I do Emily's about health and fitness and, and life coaching. There's another guy that I do, um, Sean Stevenson, which is a huge uh, health and fitness guy. He's written a book about uh, sleeping smarter. He has a new one out called Eating Smarter. And he's he has definitely exploded his podcast with the, the Model Health Show. Uh, he's, he's moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles and he's getting huge guests on. and But then there's other podcasts that I'm helping put together. There's one about uh, metastatic breast cancer. This woman is, I mean, when you, when you have that, you know what you're basically probably going to be checking out of the world on, but still having hope and being present in the moment that both joy and sadness can live together at the same moment and being present at that. If you're always waiting for things to get better, well, each day... It, is not guaranteed to be better. In fact, it could be a little bit worse tomorrow. So learning those kind of things. Uh, during COVID, I started a podcast where one guy was in New York and the other girl was in um, Miami and they were doing a podcast on things that were binge worthy to watch on Netflix or Hulu. So like, we'll talk about all the seasons of Peaky Blinders or The Handmaid's Tale and learning different aspects of that. So just being, being able to be present and, and, and learn from what people are teaching you and helping them do things. It's always a gift. I mean, I, I get to learn every day something new. I'm always fascinated by what people are interested in yep. because I have an idea in my head what I think people are going to be interested in. Yep. And then it's the things that I always talk about that are the winners and the things that I think are really interesting that aren't so interesting, yep. you know, or people are like, yeah, I'd listen to that, but it catches my eye if you talked about sleep or if it catches my eye if you talk about hydration. And yep. I'm always just amazed by like, you know, like just hearing the Netflix, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's so many people out there that especially during COVID, they're like, what am I going to do with all my time? Right. Oh, now I have a like a hand guide, you know, to everything I need to watch, you yep. know, X amount of time, you know, after. Is it bench worthy or is it cringe worthy? Yeah, like after, avoid it kind of thing. <laughs> which is that. And so, you know, and, and when you're editing podcasts and you're hearing a lot of different things, I mean, is it... Does it inspire you with your with your own kind of work, like to kind of bring out like, you know, the the wanting to be back on air or 
or is it more, okay, I'm in, I'll use the example of like me being a coach. I run still and I run competitively, Mm -hmm. but I find so much motivation and inspiration out of my athletes. And there's nothing more fulfilling than being there as a coach, even though I love competing and I love running. It's like two different worlds if that makes sense, you know? And so I just love the love of being able to help somebody else get, you know, achieve their goals. I don't know if it makes me want to be back on the air or doing something like that, but I'm kind of in that regard of a coach watching your help for somebody else. So for them to flourish, however that may be. Um, Yes or no. I mean, would it be fun to have a radio show again? Maybe, but it, I think I'm at the point now where helping is much more enjoyable than just being the, the spotlight and focal point. I like I like helping other people shine at the moment, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to be the star. Uh, like some people um, really are really good hosts, and that's all they'll really ever be. But I, I like the fact that I can make someone's podcast sound that much more better than what they could have just done on their own because of they're so close to it, stepping back and adding new music to something like yours or, or just different elements or adding components and, and helping it grow. So yes, like how you teach your runners and you see them, you know, do whatever they're doing and, and getting those acclimates. I think that's kind of where I'm at as well. It's yeah, and it, you can't fake it. Yeah. I mean, I can see it with you. Um, first time I ever talked to you, there was just it was just different. You mm-hmm. know, it's different than I'd ever heard anybody talk about a podcast before. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of security in the sense that, like, when you know, a plug for Bill is like when you have an editor like yourself that you do have that experience. Mm-hmm. You feel more comfortable to actually want to talk about certain things, sure. or feel like it's almost it. Literally, you are a sounding board. Mm-hmm. You know, in two ways, you sure. know, more ways than one. Right. But you know, you have the experience. You have sat right next to the big stars who who did it this way. And so I feel like you can give a lot probably to a lot of different right. people who are going in totally different directions and what their goals are. Like my podcast goal has always just been, I just want to interview friends. You know, sure. I want to interview friends. I want to interview people who I think are my cele- yeah, yeah, my celebrities. You know, I don't care if it if it get if it never gets, you know, over a thousand people that listen to it. It's like if I keep I think of it almost as art. And what I love mm. about podcasts is that when you interview somebody, and you might have seen this with Katie McFarlane when we mm-hmm. did with her and Coach Crow loved it. Sure. You know, he's he had a blast, but you could just see how excited Katie was doing that podcast mm-hmm. and how now she has a piece with her mm-hmm. that she can take home, you know, and she can share that with it. And and I was lucky enough. I it's funny because I got I had I'd been asked a couple of times to get on podcasts over the years and it just it didn't feel right to me. I don't know why. Like I'm one of those people that I want attention until I get it and then I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And be careful what you exactly. ask for. Like, and then you got it. And so I'd been asked to go on some podcasts before and it was with you know, one was person, you know, you kind of have a referral base. So it's somebody who wasn't even local and wanted to talk about coaching and running and different stuff, just never felt comfortable. And then the first time I actually just did it, cause it was a friend that was like, Hey, I really want you to do this with me. And I did it. I'm like, wow, this is so fun. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a blast. I mean, you just get to sit there and talk, but then it gets me thinking a lot about, and maybe this is kind of where your perspective will come in handy is that on radio, yeah, you can select the station that you listen to, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily get to select this song that you listen to right. or the specific topic you want to listen to. With podcasts, you can literally go search exactly what, like yesterday I searched, I wanted to hear something from Dusty Baker, who's an MLB oh, yeah. you know, uh, manager because I'd heard his name mentioned recently and I was like, you know what? I bet you he has some podcast out there about Dusty Baker and listened to an hour podcast with Dusty Baker and I was just, that it was as simple as I just searched it. Right. Do you think that podcasts are its own section and kind of adds you know, its own flavor, or this is a solution to what radio could never really give us. So I think podcast, um, 
can definitely be such a learning tool. Do you remember as kids we read like the Botanica encyclopedias, yeah. go and pull those things? I think podcasts now are modern versions of that. So if like you want to find out about Dusty Baker, you can search <laughs> and find that. If you want to find out how to start a small business up, there's that. There's life coaching. But the personality and the compelling content is what the key is. You can read these things, but we're also in, in the sense where I don't want to say multitasking, but how fun would it be to be running or walking on a treadmill and also learning about whatever? Some of the biggest podcasts right now are murder solving things, you know, and and that comes from, honestly, old time radio when people would listen and when they didn't have TV, they would have these audio dramas and stuff. And that's where things are. People always want to be entertained. And um, yeah, I mean, you can really uh, approach a podcast for an entertainment aspect or a learning aspect, but thankfully it's both. It's cliche. It's a cliche question because you obviously, you know, you, you do a lot of different things that fulfill you and, and you, you can probably see this perspective, you know, just with everything that you do, but you see yourself in five, 10 years and there's something you just can't predict, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, life circumstances or just the industries yep. changing, like who would have ever thought this would be, you know, your avenue of <laughs> still doing the same sounding boards, but you yeah. know, more mobile with people who are not celebrities hosting right. their own air, but you see yourself in five, 10 years. I mean, do you see yourself doing something similar? Or do you see yourself kind of just evolving what you've done? Do you mean from a podcast stuff, from Bill Smith, from Trike? I guess everything. There's a, there's a lot know? of different yeah, things. Yeah, I guess everything. Because I see you. I see you juggle so much. You you remind me a lot of myself in some ways. Because I think more of my focus is always running. Mm -hmm. But you know, and I love sports things like that. But like with what you're doing, it's it seems from the outside you're very regimented and you have a very specific like. Here's my time for this. Here's my time for that. Yep. And you're growing them. Yep. They're both still growing. It's not like you're running in one direction and I can't keep up with this, but I also want to do this. Like, no, no. It's like you're showing that you can build two things at one time and it can be successful. Well, part of that I think is also what I have learned to do is it's called chunking your time and making your time worth its value because you can do anything, but you can't do everything all the time. So on certain days, I have things dedicated to whether it's an audio recording or editing stuff. And then certain days are more for tours. And again, our seasons are kind of uh, the beginning of spring to end of October for tours. So that gives me several months in the wintertime when we're not outside doing stuff to really focus on things. But I also don't want to get complacent. And I also want to focus on whatever the next season's going to be for the tours aspect. Um, for me and growing stuff is being able to help people to produce podcasts and have those days to do that. There's also days that I just want to be creative. I was a musician as well. At one point, I wanted to score film, which is a completely different thing. I was in a long hair band in Los Angeles and thought we were like, you know, we got a record deal and we were, you know, playing the whiskey and going, hanging out at the rainbow and all that stuff. That was fun. but that wasn't putting bologna on the sandwich. You, you had to get a real job. So um, would I still like to sit and play music? Sure. I, I, those kind of things. Where I see myself in the next few years is I'd like to see trike. What's the word that I'm thinking? I don't know what that word is. Almost like a revamp of it. Not or... a revamp, but um, replicate. There it is. Replicate. Okay. I want to yeah. replicate uh, trike where we're doing trike DC. So we're doing yeah. tours in uh, Washington, DC. Trike 
Austin, you know, places that are very bike friendly, that this same model that is working and the things that we've put into place can work in another city. And then they can go and, and, and Washington, D.C. and go up and down the, the mall there and look at the monuments and the Congress and stuff like that. Kind of just handing this off and, and being able to, that's one thing I'd like to grow. With podcasting and, and being able to produce things, I love being creative, but I also want to help people do what I do. So, there could be another version of me doing those things uh, for whether it's editing podcast or recording the same thing with the tours. Another version of me while I'm doing a tour in Forest Park, Joe Below, who I've hired, can be offering a, a tour in downtown and just kind of helping all people grow. Ultimately, even if like I won the lottery, I still think if I had all the money in the world, I still think I would be doing something like this because it is fun. Now, would I be taking as much time each week to do things? Probably not. There'd be a little <laughs> Fiji or the Maldeas kind of visits. Some and trips, those, exactly. And a couple of those, but um, I, love, I love that. I love being married to my wife and helping you know her view her things that she wants to do out of her life. And, and I think if you're a, a person that's selfish, you don't get to experience the joy of helping someone do whatever it is, whether it's your wife, whether it's a tour, whether it's someone's podcast. If you're not giving it yourself, then you're kind of just selfish. And what you're doing, especially with Trike, is you're creating so many experiences. It's almost yeah. like you're putting on these mini events every single time Absolutely. That you host a you know a tour. And you know one of the things that I love most about events is I love stepping back in an event. And one of the events I used to put on was this road race here in St. Louis. And we had close to a thousand people by the end of it. And it was so cool because I had always dreamed of being able to like have an idea that could come to fruition and sure. then people would actually show up for it. And then watch you them know? enjoy it. Yeah. And you look around and it doesn't matter how hard it was or whatever the case is, you see people like, like I remember I put an event on in Seattle and I see a family taking a photo with their, I think it was like a 90 year old grandpa who like ran, walked the race. Nice. And they take a family photo and I'm thinking, you know what? That family photo, I can almost guarantee is going somewhere yes. on the wall. Yes. And that was created at your event. And they're so thankful for that. I and mean, that's a memory that they will always have. Always remember, remember when granddad walked by the Seattle <laughs> Needle or whatever because yeah. of this. And it was because of what your vision was. And so I think that's what's so cool about what you do. And, and it's essentially you're you're doing it with podcasting too for people. You're mm -hmm. giving people the opportunity, um, you know, to create their own experiences. And then you get to kind of, I mean, in some ways, you know, because I always think of it like selfishly, I love that. That fulfills me, mm -hmm. you know, it's so it's kind of taking those both things, but I think it's very, um, you know, commendable for you to recognize those things that, you know, are necessary, like you say, being more selfless and then realizing there is a lot of joy in actually being able to help and probably more to your life and more evolution to, to what you're doing. So your story, I mean, I, I, I'm not just saying it to say it to you, like when I first met you and you're telling me about it, I was just like, man, this is so cool. Like I, it's I just, BS, this it's, guy's making it up. He couldn't do all you know, this I stuff. I think it's cause I'm such a, I'm such a, I don't know, like. I mean, because I'm a history buff, but like, I, I don't know, it's like, it's almost like I loved, I love radio. I love, you know, TV. I love this different stuff. And I love hearing about how things are built. Mm -hmm. And so I think just knowing that you have this story that kind of goes all the way from chasing a dream mm -hmm. that's still being chased, you know, and it's showing to people that you can go do something and you can love what you did. And then you can go do something that's even further. There's a former NBA player called, uh, named J.R. Smith. And okay. he's, um, you know, he played in the NBA for several years. He's going to college right now because he went right out of high school. He's probably in his early 40s or so. Uh, but he he got the NCAA, NCAA to clear him. He's playing golf in college right now. And wow. I'm like, you know what? It's a whole new career for him. Sure. And you know what? He's taking it just as serious as he took it, you know, NBA. It just shows that we all, 
you know, we all have more to live for. There's always something else ahead of us. So I think your story can can share that and be inspiring for people. So I hope selfishly that you share more of your story, you know, when you can to people that are obviously taking your, you know, obviously appropriate times because, sure. you know, you know when it should be on them and you know it should be on you. Uh, <laughs> but the people who are obviously touring you. Let's not you. talk about your podcast. Yeah, Let's exactly, talk more yeah. about me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do the last 10 minutes of your podcast will be you. So I think there's a lot of people can learn from it. So, you know, we're, we're not in person with you and we're following along. Where can we find you so we can set up a tour or just follow your journey on social media? So, um, for tours, uh, we're basically on Facebook and, and Instagram at trike STL. And then our website is trikestl.com and you can book a, an experience right there or you can call me 314-487-4553 and uh, we'll make something happen for you. I love it. Thanks for so much for, for doing this. I love doing great. this. This was fun. This is a blast.